ladies and gents, uh, thanks for joining us on uh, another pod with uh, engineers. Today we've got Evan Reeves, who's joining us from DOT, who are um, the guys and girls who've built uh, sustainable scooters or e-scooters, which we're going to dive into uh, a little bit more. We've got some topics to discuss. So, Evan, how are you? How's things? Doing great. Very good. Just talking about uh, getting ready for the holidays, going back to the US. Yep. Can't wait. Can't yep. wait. New York in a week for me. What about you? Yeah, Kansas City, center of America. American pride. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. No e-scooters around there either. No, I don't know that they would have the uh, the battery range to move uh, in the city out there. Might be a little bit too big of a distance for them to be successful. Uh, have you got any e-scooters anywhere in the States? Not necessarily none in the golf, States. Just generally. None. No, none in the States. It's something that they've entertained definitely from time to time figuring out the business plan, but... Yeah, it's not a. Uh, it's not right. We definitely like the, the centralization and the compactness that you get here in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. yeah Europe's fantastic for that. Netherlands. I've been down to Southern Europe, Spain, Portugal. They absolutely love it. A variety of different bikes, albeit, yeah. um, but they love it. I saw a deal actually over the last. I think it was twelve months that London or the UK wanted to introduce DOT. That was quite a big feature. Um, yes. I, I don't know if you know more on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was one, there's definitely like kind of what we would consider like the prize cities in terms of where we want to be positioned, uh, places we want to go where we think there's a really great market opportunity. I think yeah. primarily because we know our service could be very useful to the people there. Uh, London was definitely high on that list and they put a massive amount of effort into going through the tender process there, which uh, is is no easy feat. Like you're competing against I think there in London, we were talking 40 to 50 other operators all trying to compete for the three sacred spots, which uh, really? they currently have now. Really? Okay, wow. We we can get into that uh, sure. if there's more details to discover. Do, do you want to give us a bit of a background into you and almost the elevator pitch, if you like, to DOT? You know, who are DOT? Sure. Yeah, so let me let me maybe first start with DOT. So uh, yes, DOT is a uh, European-focused micromobility provider. So uh, prior to a few weeks ago, uh, the vehicles we provided were uh, e-scooters, uh, electronic scooters. Uh, we now have e-bikes in the mix. So you're going to okay. start to see those in various cities uh, here in Europe. But uh, yeah, we provide multimodal transportation. The idea here is to give people access to uh, clean and affordable and reliable rides. So I think the thing that we feel very strongly about that's like our main differentiator is like the quality of our service overall, okay. right? <clears throat> so this is both the experience that you're going to have as a newcomer to the app, as a repeat rider as well, um, but also in terms of the, the quality of vehicle that you're going to ride on. Uh, we feel very strongly that we maintain our vehicles well. We make good selections about the vehicles, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking to develop our own vehicles as well with all of these criteria. So we really just try to provide a very thorough uh, and positive experience for the user in all ways. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, give us give us an idea of your role within the yeah. business and, and teams that you serve. Yes. So I am one of the handful of engineering managers here at DOT. I have been working here now a little bit over a year and a half. I started yeah. in June of 2020. Um, so I think I'm in month 14 or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's a handful of us uh, engineering managers kind of on the software and the data side. Uh, yeah. yeah, my day-to-day, -day, uh, I would say, is really partitioned into thirds. So uh, I spend the first third of my time thinking about 
career growth, coaching for all the people that I directly manage. So, yeah. you know, how do we get them to the next level? What skills, what things are they really good at? And how do we unlock those possibilities uh, and really get them to that next level so they can be teaching those skills to other people so they can go deeper into their craft and learn it better? Uh, the second third of my time, I would say I spend kind of doing sort of product management, but product management support, really. So I'm not the person who's making the decisions about that, but there are definitely things on our technical backlog that we need to be considering. So I act as an advocate for those things and try to have a healthy conversation and sort of keep circulation about those things to make sure they're getting the attention that they need. And then I would say the last thing is what I refer to as like engineering operations. Yeah. So this is thinking about like all the tools that we have in place, whether this is Jira or Notion or Slack. How do we use these things effectively? How do we communicate information through them? Um, how do we use them to our advantage to just make everything easier and get people closer to what they need to get? And uh, that's a very, very, very big challenge to solve for sure. Engineering ops, big challenge. Yeah, I would say so. And not operations in the sense of like, uh, where are we deploying? How are we deploying? What's yep. our configuration management? But like, yeah, how do we get everybody aligned? Again, prioritization. How does that trickle all the way from the top of the pyramid down to the bottom so that everybody's kind of going in the same direction? Yeah, okay. I, I can imagine, and you and I literally spoke offline about this because we've got yeah. some historic knowledge from understanding a little bit, or I understand a little bit more about DOT. Uh, so there is, just to break it down fully, you have hardware elements to the business, software elements to the business, and touching on you know that third part, data elements to the business. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there a point that syncs them all up together or, or how does that work? Yeah, I've always, I've always felt that there was like kind of a spectrum of development, right? So like at the far end of it, you've got hardware development, um, okay. literally talking about developing our own vehicles, sourcing yeah. all of the parts for this, the manufacturing process, uh, all the sensors that come with that. So now we're starting to kind of get into the software realm, right? Like yeah. you've got embedded, you've got sensors, this needs to go to the embedded hardware. Ultimately, this needs to communicate, which is where the IoT modules come into play. Yeah. Uh, so the IoT is beaming all this information back to us, and now we're kind of like moving to this virtual territory. And this is that kind of transition zone between hardware and software where we see that happening. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, this kind of comes into the to the software side of things here at Dot. That's split up into three distinct teams. I don't know yeah. if I could if I should maybe tell you a little bit more about yeah, each great. of those and kind of the role they serve. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So uh, as far as the software side goes, we're really split into uh, three major teams. So we've got uh, the platform team, uh, product operations, and product writer. I'm yep. the engineering manager on product writer. We're the probably the most user-facing in terms of our exposure. So product writer is the group that makes the iOS and the Android application. So if gotcha. you're ever going to use one of our vehicles, if you're going to ride, if you're going to try it out, all the things, signing up, end-of-ride experience, that's something that our team creates and maintains. Uh, adjacent to us, you have product operations. Product operations is really concerned with um, the vehicle lifecycle as well as street operations. So yeah. someone rides a scooter, it's in a place where either it needs a battery swap or it needs to be moved somewhere else. This is the team that's responsible to, for trying to automate that whole process to make it better, to do things if the vehicle is broken. Yeah. So they really kind of connect to the ground operations there. And then the last team we've got there is the the platform team, and they're really the team that's kind of like the uptake from the IoT, right? Okay. So we've got these vehicles beaming telemetry to us. They're the team that builds services that takes that data, transforms it into a uniform kind of protocol, and then push, pushes that all up into the cloud. And that's really yep. where I think the fun begins for us. Okay, I can imagine that connectivity between some of those software teams and hardware teams. Uh, understanding the space that you're in is in real time fleet positioning. 
uh, battery usage, etc. I can imagine that gets really tough. I'm not necessarily yeah. asking for deep dives into that because that might not necessarily be your realm, but yeah. I can imagine that gets tough. Yeah. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of data too, like uh, thinking of all of the things that are coming in. So as an example, our vehicles are beaming this tele telemetry every five seconds, I believe. So okay. whether we act on that or not, like if it's a significant event, if something's changed from the last time it reported, then something happens. Uh, but yeah, as you can imagine, when we've got, uh, I think, close to 32,000 scooters now yep. out there, like, yeah, it's a lot of information coming in. Yeah, that is. Okay. What what are some of the technical challenges in and around your team, the product writing team? Yeah, yeah. So I think the the two problems that I think we have, I guess maybe I would I would say three three problems that we have. One I would say is kind of the product and the user experience. So I, I won't necessarily go into that because this is about user education. Yeah. This is about product usability, design, all of that stuff, which is a massive, massive kind of topic on its own. Uh, but I think for us, the the two concerns that I have <clears throat> are kind of like scalability and our ability to make quick changes to our mobile application in a sustainable way, um, something that we really want to unlock. And then second, I would say is just general um, kind of uptime and quality of service, right? So uh, we got to start thinking a lot more about scale. We're kind of scale up, not only in terms of our personnel, but also like we're expecting to grow the fleet quite substantially. We want to be yeah. operating in more cities. So like get prepared and... Um, you know, hopefully we can do this in a way where like our Google bill doesn't linearly increase or exponentially increase as this goes up. So it's about making intelligent decisions. So, uh, you know, when things happen, like when we have an outage and scooters go offline and people need to get refunded, how can we minimize the impact to our business? Also to yeah. the users. I mean, that's the most important thing, making sure that we've got clear comms to them. So, yeah, I would say that's the biggest challenge for our team right now. What are some of the decisions that you've taken recently, or or maybe a current challenge that you've that you've got going on at the moment that that we can hear about if we're allowed to? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the most significant thing that I would like to talk about is what we've referred to as as the Rider Gateway or the Rider API. Yeah. Um, so this is something that our team, the Product Rider team, has been working on and is still still working on this for the last year, year and a half or so. Okay. So. Basically, to unpack the problem here is uh, you've got mobile applications, right? Our iOS and our Android application. Uh, when these were built, we basically took Google tools off the off the shelf uh, Firestore, built the whole application on this. Super great, very very scalable, got us to where we needed to go. The problem is that you're um, tied directly to the database in these situations. So. As an example, when we're trying to figure out, uh, can a user end a ride in a certain location? This means that the mobile clients now have to implement logic, both clients, right? So we've got two different kinds uh, there. <clears throat> they have to implement that same logic, reading the same kind of collections and databases and things like this. If we decide we want to change that, this means we have to ship a new version. So as you can imagine, when like the landscape of the cities are changing, uh, both from a regulatory standpoint, but also you know, from the way we want to operate in those cities, this is difficult because now we've got this old version that's ancient that we can't touch. It's kind of like API versioning, right? So yeah. there is no opportunity to update that. So what we decided to do is to really try to make our mobile applications uh, more stupid, for lack of a better phrase. But we want to take all of that logic out and we want to put it in a, in, into a backend API. And I okay. think this seems like kind of like the thing you should do at the beginning. And I think you're like, oh, well, why do we wait so long with that? You know, various reasons for it. Uh, but this is really great. So what we've been working on is basically moving all of that logic, moving all of those direct database reads to an API and having a uniform interface uh, for the mobile clients. 
So as an example, when you go to end your trip, either on Android or iOS, they both call the same API, uh, which is a fun new gRPC API, uh, and they can get the result there. The backend does everything that it needs to do. And the benefit here is we can deploy that backend 100 times a day or one time a day or one time a quarter, doesn't really matter. But now that's in our control. So as long as we maintain that contract with the mobile clients, like everything is gravy. It's great. Okay. Well, what would you have done differently if you knew this information when scaling up? Would you have gone with the, the route now that you've taken, as in you've probably collectively as a team problem solved that and thought, how can we actually unify this into one API and et cetera? So yeah. would you have actually got to this point of scale because probably speed allowed you to do so? Or would you have actually designed it this way, do you think? Yeah, I think... I think I think if we had to do this a second time, I would definitely be paying more attention to that, right? Really? So like, you wanna you wanna think about like, you know, where where are those dependencies? Where are the boundaries between system? And can I get a clean separation of those? Okay. So like, we think about this. We think about this with testing, right? So like, you know, you wanna make sure that you have dependency injection. You wanna make sure that your code is loosely coupled. This means that it's modular. You can move it. You can change it. Ultimately, when you're testing it, you can mock it. It's the most beautiful thing. And I think we need to think about the same thing with the services that we use, right? So because it's so entrenched, because Firebase and Firestore is so deep in there, uh, it makes it very hard to remove. So I think if we had to take a second pass at it, yeah. I mean, I think it's like up in the air. It could be 50-50 because it did give us this like really wonderful agility. But at the same time, uh, yeah, it kind of it sort of added to the technical debt, if you will, right? Like okay. we're going to have to figure out how to do this. Okay. Do, does this Does this impact riders massively, do you think? Or any of these changes impact riders massively? Uh, I think it does overall ensure a better quality. I think they're going to okay. get a more consistent experience with this. Um, you know, some of the things are going to be the same. Like when you talk about like mobile connectivity, 4G, uh, 5G, whatever it is, like, you know, your phone can still just take a crap and not connect and things are still not going to work right. So it doesn't entirely solve that. But if you're talking about making a bunch of requests in the back end to get various database state whatever it is um at least now you only have to do that you know you've reduced that opportunity right one of the other things here is that we're using grpc for this so we get yeah. like uh binary connections on this meaning we can stream connections we can stream data it's http http http2 uh which is really great so uh yeah, you get one TCP handshake for that. So this reduces the overhead in terms of connections that you need from the mobile client. So I do think, uh, yeah, in terms of like technical improvements, I think this achieves that. Okay. I would I would say from a user experience perspective, hopefully it gets more reliable. I think we've got some data to support that, but really they shouldn't know the difference. Like if we left everything in the app the same and you know they're clicking around in it, they wouldn't know the difference that we switched one out for the other. Yeah, nice. Okay. Can you give us a bit of an understanding into um, the tech environment and maybe decisions as to why why you've used um, different languages to maybe write different services, et cetera? That might be useful just to unpack. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So maybe I can talk a little bit about kind of our tech stack and yeah, how yeah, things please. are built and yeah. what we're doing here. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, our infrastructure is, uh, um, I want. I always want to say almost completely on GCP. It's completely on GCP. So we use uh, uh, Google, uh, yeah, GCP for everything. Yeah. Uh, we are mostly a Node.js and TypeScript shop. So yeah. we have tiny, tiny pinches of Go uh, and Go services in there, but it's few and far between. It's not something that we're doing uh, uniformly across our services and across the things that we're building. 
Um, a lot of things that we built uh, are just using functions, right? So they're mostly stateless. We basically okay. play for, for serverless technology, which is really great. So literally millions of invocations of that a month. Uh, we yeah. very, very heavily leverage that. Um, we are using a lot of other Google products, Cloud Run. We use this to um, deploy some of our services. So this mm. Rider API, this Rider Gateway that I'm talking about, um, this Run. is deployed on Cloud Run. Yep. Okay. So it's basically like um, kind of like a semi-managed service. So you get some nice things out of the box, some boilerplate. You get scalability. Uh, you get uh, better logging, um, okay. redundancy, multi-region. You know, just things that like you seconds. you cannot ignore. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yeah. good. And and good decisions behind that, do you feel? Would you leverage anything else or any technologies that are out there differently? No, I don't I don't think so. I I, I have to say like it's not really my authority to make those decisions. I'm certainly yeah. like here to listen, support and like push that conversation in the right direction, but I think yeah. there's definitely like many, you know, smart engineers far more intelligent than me uh, that can help make those decisions and really like uh, celebrate which things we should go after and yeah, what we value in terms of a product and an infrastructure. Nice. Okay. But yeah, if I had to redo that, I think we'd probably remain here for the most part. And do, do you think there's, there's more problems to solve? Um, you talk about unifying those APIs previously um, mm -hmm. using Firestore previously got you to a certain point of scale. Do you think going beyond that 32K fleet uh, where you're improving that massively, there might be some things or services that you've built already that everyone in the team is looking at thinking we might need to change that or we might re need to relook at that. I don't think that's got the elasticity that it probably needs. Yeah. Let's say if we look beyond one year. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think we're we're already feeling that with um, uh, certain kind of services. I would say certain functions that we offer, right? So uh, when a user is looking for a vehicle on the map, they're zooming around. Their bounding box is changing all the time. This is one of the most demanding uh, requests that we have, at least from a rider perspective. Okay. So it's very computationally heavy. It's very database heavy because we have to get all this information and there's yeah. weird caching strategies in place. So this is one of those kind of like, uh, if you look at the heat map of of activity in our sort of uh, in our infrastructure, this is something that's hot and something that probably needs to be isolated in its own way, in an, in its own place. So. We're kind of like microservice oriented right now, not yeah. entirely, but we're we're definitely moving more in that direction. So when we see things like this, uh, we know that we need to put it in its own service because we want it to be able to scale differently than the rest. Okay, <clears throat> that's a really interesting approach. Yeah. Uh, I think listening to many other people on the pod, by the way, and and why they um, segregate services, if you like, to allow for scalability, that probably makes sense. Again, mm -hmm. from my non-technical background. Good. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you're able to collect some of that data, because obviously it's rider intensive. Okay. We talk about that heat map moment literally a minute ago. Talk to us about any data that you're able to consume as a company and how you might use that data around fleet positioning like we spoke earlier in the pod sure. uh, around yeah. battery usage <clears throat> earlier in the pod and and how the business might think that data might help them scale if you're able to understand that just yet 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think I think the biggest uh, way in which we see data being advantageous for for our company is definitely in terms of like fleet positioning, fleet repositioning, how users okay. are interacting with our vehicle, right? So they, we have a weekly Q and A that we do uh, every Friday, and there was just one a few weeks ago where one of our uh, data scientists. Uh, gave an overview of what they've been doing in terms of fleet repositioning. So this is really important because like, if we take a look at like the, the raw costs of operating our business, like operations is quite expensive for us to yeah. operate. So if scooters are not in the right spot, this means people aren't going to ride them. So you have something with a low ride rides per vehicle on a daily basis. So this yeah. is not good. But also if we are running around in circles and we're not organized and efficient in how we pick those up, replace them, swap the batteries, whatever it is, like this is going to have some massive cost because you literally have trucks in cities. They might get stuck in traffic. This is no good. So uh, yeah, we've been using this data that we collect. So plenty of data that's being emitted from uh, the Rider app. So when people first open the application, uh, where are they and is there a vehicle nearby? So as yeah. an example of this, we use that information to determine, like, are we positioning our vehicles initially in the right spot? You know, ideally, we want to have a vehicle available in 150 meters or less. So that's kind of like a target that we were working towards. Prior to that whole experiment, we had no idea what that looked like. We're just like, I don't know, how far away are vehicles on average? Where, How close does it need to be? Um, so this is one way that we're using it. Uh, yeah, repositioning the vehicles, again, is, is critically important. So when people are ending their rides, we're also able to see these numbers in aggregate, right? So all of this stuff goes into BigQuery. Uh, we've got a very, very skilled data team, data analysts, data scientists, data engineers who are working on that pipeline to get all that stuff in there. And they're building their predictive models about um, where should we position vehicles, what's low demand, trying to do forecasting, right? So the two ways that we do this are to, to get into this. The two things that are important here are repositioning the vehicles, where we want to put them, where are the yeah. hotspots. Uh, the second is talking about runs. So if we're going to be swapping batteries or we're going to be picking up scooters, how do we make this most efficient for the operators who are going to go out there, you know, the ground operations who are going to go and pick those things up? That, that repositioning part seems unbelievably key. Thinking about it as, as a customer um, sounds unbelievably key. There, yeah. There's some smart things that yeah, the yeah. data team are doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I think I think of all of the things that we could be doing, they probably have the most opportunity for like positive impact on the business, yeah. you know, both for the users. Because if they can get this right and they can use this data advantageously, like you can literally make this problem go away or at least like greatly reduce it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Well, whereabouts are you based at the moment in Europe? As in... Yes. Um, uh, countries or regions that you've got your uh, sustainability e-bikes and e-scooters Yes, in. Yes. So we are in Belgium. We are in France, Italy, Spain, Poland, uh, the UK, uh, yeah. in Britain. And I'm trying to think of where else. Uh, yeah, Finland, Norway. We just recently launched there. That was earlier this year. So we're operating there as well. Nice. And I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. touch on the... Um, no, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, and in terms of e-bikes, which is, uh, these are becoming newly available. Yeah. These are currently being distributed in Brussels. We're going to have these in Paris and in London, I think are the, the kind of flight cities, the alpha cities. Nice. Okay. Yeah. What, what are the three sacred spots in the UK? Did you mean, or three sacred parts in the UK? Oh, I don't think I know. 
Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I thought you mentioned that at the start of the pod, as in there, there are three sacred parts. Oh, sorry. Uh, yes, London. I meant, yes, sorry. The, the tender licenses, the coveted uh, tender licenses. So you got your gold, your silver, and your, your bronze. Right. right I so, see. <clears throat> I thought there were yeah. parts to um, London or the UK. Yes. Yeah. So they elected only to have three operators there. So all of the operators uh, that right. wanted to compete for that had to go through the process and go through multiple rounds, elimination, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing. So basically bidding for for those tenders. And yeah, it, extremely stressful process, I think, for everybody involved, our organization included. Uh, but yeah, we got one. So this is great. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, Hats off to is, the London team. Yeah, love it. Love it, London team. What do you think next year looks like for DOT? Whether it's we've touched on um, fleet management, if you like, and scaling up operations, we've touched on uh, fleet positioning. What what else do you think will impact Dart next year? Yeah, so I, I think the one thing that's like kind of interesting is like how COVID has impacted our business, yeah. right? Um, okay. It's an awful thing to have happened to the world for sure. But it's very interesting to see how it's like affected our business because we also see these big, these big, you know, rises and falls when okay. there's lockdowns in cities, things go down. But what you also find is that people are like more averse to public transportation, and like mm -hmm. we really see ourselves not as competition to public transportation, but we want to be adjacent to it, right? So like, how do we work together with, uh, you know, mobility options like that where we can do that that last mile or last kilometer. Um, so it's very interesting to see how that works out. So I think the thing I'm kind of keeping my eye on is like, what's going to happen? I mean, obviously it's like completely unpredictable what's, what's, what's going to go, but that has had a pretty significant effect on our business, right? We've had to reduce a little bit and try to be more lean in terms of how aggressive we want to be, where yeah. do we want to operate to have more intentionality. So we'll definitely keep, uh, keep a close eye on that. I think the second thing is, uh, we've got a lot of e-bikes coming in. So okay. this is going to make up a larger uh, portion of our fleet. And yeah, I'd say we're placing a, a big bet on that becoming a very popular uh, transportation option. One of the things that we find is like, you know, the scooters are very attractive to the kind of like 18 to 35, very heavily male, very heavily disposable income. We really want to provide a service that's like accessible to all people, not just, yeah. you know, that particular segment um, or not just tourists, you know, which is great. Like people do like to get around and see. But we also want to be there for the people who live in the cities. And we think that the e-bike is going to be a really great uh, mode of transportation, a really great way for people to get around. So, yeah, putting a lot of money and effort into that as well. Uh, hands up. I was honestly terrified to get on an e-scooter in Lisbon. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was. Yeah. I, yeah, I only rode it around the center because I thought, put me on a road. I know I'm going to be face first in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's interesting because... I've definitely had that experience as well. Like it, one, it depends on the vehicle because sometimes you get on one and it's like, it's not in good condition and it does not feel safe to ride. So you do have to be mindful about that. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think what I've personally experienced is like competitions with vehicles, right? So our okay. uh, HQ is here in uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands and it's like, it's glorious. It's the gold standard for like uh, divided traffic, right? You've got cars and you've got bike lanes. Yeah. When you're riding in a high pressure environment, like you're in the middle of Brussels on a cobblestone street and there's cars right next to you, like it doesn't feel so good. Yeah. So okay. I think 
to help complement some of the things that we're trying to achieve, it would be really beneficial to see more cities uh, open up to alternative modes and give more space for bikes, give more space for pedestrians, give more space for scooters. I think that will make rides uh, significantly better. Uh, climate change and sustainability are huge conversations on you know the political spectrum right now. Well, we see quite a lot of it in the UK. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily going to go into names and details, but we see that a lot at the moment. So it wouldn't surprise me if there are serious considerations about that space part that you mentioned. Uh, I, I don't know how long these things take, but let's say within a five, 10 year period. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. And it makes sense from my personal experience. Again, cobbled road in Lisbon. Yeah. I thought, trust me that this is not good after two or three beers. No, no, definitely not. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a challenge because I think designing a vehicle that's going to feel comfortable in that. I mean, even in a car, I think it can be annoying. Like you're in you're in the most luxurious option that you have, but it's like yeah. narrow street, hard riding. It's yeah, it can be a challenge for sure. Where are you excited uh, on the technical landscape that will come with Dot? Uh, obviously, you know the product writing team. Uh, you've you're, you're doing some good things. You're doing mm-hmm. some great things and you're obviously solving problems that we discussed a little bit earlier in the pod. What yeah. else do you think might come for, from a technical landscape? Yeah, from a technical landscape, I think one thing that we're probably going to start paying more attention to is like just our cloud costs and thinking okay. about, are we using the right tools to uh, optimize what we're trying to do, right? So, you know, we're a node uh, backend TypeScript uh, for the language. It's good. It works. It's functional. It's efficient. But I'd have to question in the future if we start thinking about, um, uh, you know, using different languages, different frameworks. Would this give us better value for the dollar spent, right? Like if we're talking about like clock time on a CPU, I'll bet you that there's things that we we could be using that will have uh, will take less resources, which means we can use more of it uh, for less less money. And I think that's something very important for us to think about. So I think that. Kind of consideration will work its way into our technical infrastructure next year. Yeah, uh, I think going further down the road of microservices, I'm very excited about this. The idea that. here is that Seems like that we way. can really we can really enable the teams to kind of go after what they want to go after, right? So less dependent on other teams, they can work in their own domain, they can change it as freely as they want. Uh, we're going to see more of that, and I think that's going to be very enabling uh, and very exciting for the teams to be doing that kind of thing. Love it. Good. Hiring-wise, share with the audience a little bit about what they might expect as in openings to see, even now, over the course of the next year, let's just say 14 Mm -hmm. months, what might people listening see and locations-wise if there are still bounds, if you like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think think the pattern that we're seeing is, um, yeah, we're looking for support from all kinds of disciplines and all kinds of backgrounds, right? So I would say most of our need is going to be with backend engineers. Uh, One thing that we are trying to do is push a little bit more towards the junior and mid-level engineers, the meteor level engineers. Yeah. The team that we have, you know, kind of inception of the product was very senior heavy. You have to have a team that's experienced, that's ready to go, that knows the stuff. So now we're trying to balance that out a little bit by also creating a little bit of a growth opportunity for for the juniors and for the mid-level devs. So yeah, I would say word of advice for anybody listening, really interested in that. If you're looking to like get your career up and off the ground and yeah, these things interest you, like there's going to be more opportunity for that in the future. 
but yeah, backend is definitely going to be like the, the backbone of what we do. All teams need this. There's only going to be more of it, especially like what I was talking about earlier. As we try to simplify the mobile client, uh, we're trying to take less on the mobile side and we're trying to do more on the backend. So definitely yeah. going to need that. Um, yeah, mobile engineering continues to always be a need, right? Like uh, it's, it's very important that we have the right user experience, uh, that we're doing things correctly. Mm. This is a need that's not going to go away. Uh, full stack and front end engineers. So we have an internal administration dashboard that we use called Portal. Uh, this may cleave into separate products. Uh, this is like a React-based um, uh, application that we use internally. Only more things are going to come from that as well. So we're going to okay. see a lot of that as well. Amsterdam-based or or Netherlands remote or what's what's the deal? Yeah, yeah. So uh, HQ is officially here in Amsterdam. So most of the engineering team is here. We have uh, an office down in Paris as well that also has a, a growing engineering team. So I expect we're going to be growing quite significantly in Paris, both in terms of uh, yeah, kind of HQ center. We'll, we'll be okay. seeing more engineers and we'll be seeing more people down there, more product related people. Yep. Same in Amsterdam as well. The remote thing is kind of interesting. So <clears throat> We've got this like work from homish kind of policy right now, yep. uh, where you know the expectation was come in one, two, maybe three days a week if you're near one of the centers, Amsterdam or Paris. I expect that'll continue. Obviously, the Netherlands here we're kind of coming into another lockdown, so we all need to stay away. Yep. Um, but I'd expect once things come around again, like that'll be the the same policy. So yeah, probably here in Amsterdam and in Paris for the time being. Cool. So uh, I'd probably sum that up as if if you're listening in Par- in and around Paris, in and around Amsterdam, and you're interested in Node.js, TypeScript, GCP environments, moving stuff to microservices, dealing with lots more scale as fleet management grows, and you probably deploy into different countries. Same reflection as Paris. Hit this guy up. Come and talk to him, come and talk to anyone else in the teams that you see. You know, there's going to be some links below that you can check all this stuff out on, careers page, whatever else. Uh, And if you want to join a mission around sustainability, you know, like I said, it is a huge political topic at the moment and we need to do our bit as a society. And, And I think you guys and girls are massive, massive contributors to that. So... Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just you. want to say, a mass- yeah. I, I just want to say a massive thanks as well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And of course, we'll see you in 2022. I'll give you a little selfie. Actually, when I'm on a dot bike in London, I'll give you a little selfie and send that across. Yeah, I'd love to see it. It'd be great. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Elliot, for uh, the opportunity to share all this. And hopefully, anybody who was listening found this stuff useful and love to talk more about it so love it evan thanks a lot enjoy kansas city yep thank you bye for now cheers hey guys thanks for watching this episode Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing please check us out on social media what we're trying to do at engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences on twitter we can be found at engineers.io it's no underscore we've also got a website which is engineers.io these links will all be posted in the description any feedback and comments are massively appreciated we're always looking to improve on where we can thanks guys